0: Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And today we get to talk about one of the most excellent performances that brings a bag of mixed emotions after the result. And it is the three-two win against Real Madrid in the Champions League quarterfinals uh, today. I am here with our usual host Sam Bagazade.
1: Oh man you said it perfectly that it's a mixed bag of emotions. Cause although that was one of the best performances of the season and we, and we won, I'm still, I'm still really depressed <laughs> despite that, uh, obviously because of, you know, us not advancing, but, oh man, I had a bad day on bad sports day, but we don't need to get into all that, uh, more important news: We are joined by a good, good friend of the podcast, and I believe this is his first time on. Yes, is that true? Second time? Yeah, there was one time where you, you I wasn't on that episode. So, welcome back, Bobby Meinhold.
2: How are you doing today, Bobby? Uh, about the same as y'all, or maybe not as bad <laughs> as you saw him. Yeah, but. I'm way,
1: I'm down way worse than you are. Yeah.
2: But uh, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, maybe maybe not as uh, as upset as as some.
1: What what are your general feelings after the performance, Bob?
2: Um. Honestly, I felt like after the first leg that maybe Madrid were in too good a form, and that we were not going to be able to contain Benzema. We were going to struggle to break him down. Maybe we get a goal and win one nil. But at the end of the day, if you give Benzema a chance, he's going to put it away, and I felt like that was going to kind of be the formula: was we were going to struggle, maybe give up a goal, maybe score one, uh, and that was going to be it. And so for us to, to you know, sc- to score as much as we did today, and you know, have the tie in our hands at one point, uh, I I can't really be mad at that in in hindsight. Andres, what about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, in the in the preview, Zach and I were discussing it, and and to me, it was, can we dig ourselves out of this hole? And in my optimistic, always believe in mindset, I thought we can score two goals, maybe, but can we shut out Madrid? And I did not expect the sort of response that we got today. I I just did not think that the players were going to be able to, to execute the game plan as well as they did, especially because I thought Madrid was just going to park the bus and with their pedigree, I thought that they would be successful. So I'm extremely proud of the performance uh, to go into the Bernabeu and score three, arguably four goals in, in another day with a, referee that's capable of going and watching something on TV themselves. And and to really slap Madrid around. Because that's how it felt. We I not once in this match did I feel that Madrid was the better team. That's something that this team really needs to be proud of and and just sort of take this moving forward. I, I don't think regardless of how young this group is or how injury stricken this group is, they need to rally around this and, and maintain this sort of level of performance through the end of the season. And and that's why I think I'm not obviously I'm bummed. We can't repeat as champions league winners, but I'm feeling really good for what's to come for this group of Chelsea players.
1: And we still have another tournament in play. I mean, this weekend we play in the FA cup, right? Uh, if, and... if we win
0: the FA cup, all is forgiven. Like I, I that's how I feel at least
1: yeah, I I just wish we were playing either city or Liverpool this weekend just to carry that momentum. We're playing crystal palace. So, I mean, obviously good form is, uh, you know, that, that I'll always accept it, but, um, wish we were playing someone a little bit stronger, even though they did beat Arsenal, which is not saying much. We got some good responses on Twitter from some of our followers, giving their general feelings about the performance. This first one is from Tom Ashdown. Uh, He says, nearly one of the greatest performances in Chelsea history. The starting players should be proud. Next one is from Ronnie Ashworth at CFC underscore Ronnie. He says, thought my hope of another 6-0 was going to come true. We didn't deserve to go out. Totally outplayed them. Question. Were we very, very good or very, very, very good? (laughs) Uh, I think that's a rhetorical question. Don't worry about answering that. This next one is from Michael Conan at Michael Conan 1789. Well, not question. Well, there's a question. What's more disappointing to concede late today or that if we played better or even 10% better in the first leg, we would have, we would have advanced disappointing result, but proud of the team's effort. Not today. Oh oh my God. I can't read right now. Disappointing result, but proud of the team's fight and effort today. Not a lot of clubs would have been able to do that. So, Andreas, which of those two is more disappointing?
0: The first leg. I I can't watch any bit of this match and come out with a negative... Like The match overall, I can't come out with a negative stance. I think that if it's not a moment of absolute brilliance from Modric and the outside of his boot, this could be... Recognizes as one of the greatest comebacks up there with the Barcelona versus PSG one from a few years back I think we shot ourselves in the foot in the first leg I discussed that in the preview I thought that we as Chelsea the football club put ourselves in that situation even Thomas Tuchel agreed that across two legs Madrid had half chances Chelsea had full big chances created and so to me it, it comes down to the first leg. If Mendy doesn't choke, we could be in the next round, for example.
1: Dude, Andreas, you don't even have to go back to the Barcelona-PSG matchup. Just go up to Real Madrid's last round. That, that amazing <laughs> comeback against, against PSG. When, these, when Benzema scored three goals in the lows of the last 30 minutes of the match. Uh, that, I mean, I think this match might have outdone that. It would have been really incredible if it happened in reverse where Real Madrid was the one winning in the last round and then us doing it to them in the next round. But whatever. We win 3-2, lose 4-5 in aggregate. Tuchel goes with the weekend's 3-4-1-2. The only change over the weekend being Reese James in for Andreas Christensen as center back. So I'll start off with you, Andreas. Obviously, you mentioned you know the change from the first match to this match. Outside of the obvious increase
0: in work rate, what really changed? I think the first thing that was very obvious was the job Reese James did on Vinicius Jr. I thought that in the first match, everything for Madrid was going down that left side. Every way that they were coming out of the back, every way they were trying to build up, it was with a through ball or, or getting the ball to Vinicius' feet. And Rhys James completely neutralized the Vinny threat. I thought that in a 90-minute in a match, in the 90 minutes until we went to overtime, he was absolutely dominant. And he's a special player. I, I truly believe that Reese James is the best player on this team. The fact that, you know, we sacrifice in the attack, what he brings in the wingback position, but at the end of the day, the game plan isn't affected because he completely takes out Real Madrid's second biggest threat, I think is something to, to really just admire. Um, I looked into it and and Vinny, for example, had 50% success rate last match. And in this match, he only completed one of his five dribbles. He had zero accurate crosses this time around. Last week, he had an assist and 100% completion of his crosses. And uh, last week, he was only dispossessed once. This week, four times by Reese James. So to me, that was the first thing is that we were able to cut that immediate counterattack threat that immediate uh sort of fear of being put in our heels by putting reese back at right center back for the better you know for the benefit of the team even though it it limited him and what he does as a as a player what about you bobby
1: what
2: do you think um for me it was uh it was kovacic and rlc Uh, were two guys that really helped out a lot. I think last match, uh, we played very slow in the build-up, and in turn, when our forwards would get the ball, when we would get the ball in or around the box, uh, our forwards would turn and would have two or three guys in front of them, uh, and it made it more difficult because they played Valverde as a winger, but really, he was just tracking back. I mean, that guy could be a triathlete, he could do an Ironman, that guy runs the entire match and just covers so much ground. Uh, and I think by adding RLC to a position that he's played now for the second time, um, it adds a little more going forward. He Sure, he gets caught out defensively a little bit, but that didn't really matter today because of how well Reese did. Um, but even when... Uh, Madrid would try to create overloads, I felt like he did a very good job tucking inside defensively instead of staying out wide uh, and helping out with that. And uh, they also, he and Kovacic both did a really good job with the press. Um, They did not break our press nearly as easily today as they did in the first leg where it felt like they just broke it with two or three passes every single time. Um, And also, uh, I mean, they both did a very good job defensively, even when we weren't pressing. Uh, so, really, just like transitioning quickly, uh, helping out with the press, like just all together, way more cohesive uh, with them versus, uh, versus Jorginho.
0: Yeah. And something you brought up because a friend of mine was putting on the games like, hey, is Chelsea running a four three three? RLC was definitely coming into the middle of the of the park to help Kovacic and Conte with with covering the middle because the wide threat of Vinicius was getting handled, you know, by Reese. Like, he was just man-marking. So I thought it was it was a really good, like, tactical adjustment to just tell him to, to slide over to the middle because, you know, we, we weren't going to be getting beat with speed on, on the outside. And just to drive home
1: this point of Kovacic and RLC – and their physicality in the midfield. Uh, So Kovacic and RLC, 96% and 91% pass completion, respectively. Two key passes and assist for Kovacic. Six and nine ball recoveries, respectively. Nice, six and nine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we could have done RLC and Kovacic in that order, but once we saw the six and nine, we had to do it. For sure, Kovacic and RLC. Also, just to add on to what you guys mentioned, the change from first leg to now, Mason Mount at the 10, finally, finally. I mean, how many times has he been played out of position on the wing and it just frustrates the shit out of you? And then you think he's more of an eight and, you know, he plays in a couple of matches as an eight and it's good, but... Little did we know. The truth was, Mason Mount is a ten. He's a ten when he's playing the in the middle of the pitch. You know, he's just cov- he's just covering that position a lot a lot better than when he was uh, playing as an eight in a in a three man midfield. And of course, the goal and the assist. Uh, that first goal was so crucial, so big. I mean, huge finish. And in the past, I mean, we talked about a last. Last episode, I forgot his goal contribution in the last couple of matches, but in the past two matches, he has what three goals and two assists, right? He scored two over the weekend. Three and three, right? He had two assists on Saturday as well. Did he have two and two? Damn, okay, we give it to him. I mean, he's been he's been looking really good in these two matches at the ten. That's the point. Uh, and it's like looking forward like we talked about earlier this is this is where we want to see Mason Mount play and <laughs> i think obviously the last thing you got to talk about is you know the change in striker now we have Timo Werner and Kai Havertz in front i don't know what the hell has happened to timo werner but this formation works for him i think i said that last episode that every time we see timo play we have to play in this formation And I'm not a huge fan of, like, adapting formations to get the best out of certain players. But I do think with our inability to score, it might not be the worst thing to have him be the player that we, uh, you know, adapt to. I'll start off with you, Andres, talking about Timo Werner. What the hell is going on with with him? Why is he like? He just looks like a completely different player.
0: I, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like such a shitty person because last pod I was like, ah, don't get used to this, you know. Hasenhuettel runs. Wow, I said that really funny. Hasenhuettel really runs Southampton like a Bundesliga team. So we saw Bundesliga Timo. Oh, that's all that was. But then he was just very confident today. And to have the balls to actually dribble for ones, actually not dribble in a straight line and actually dribble and wiggle his way to to the position he did to score the the goal that gave us the, the three nil lead was amazing. And, and you talk about, you know, should you alter the formation altogether for a player and and things like that? I think, you know, you can't play the exact same 11 every single week. So if you are trying to add Timo, This adjustment works. I mean, it's still three at the back. It's still wing backs. You're just not playing with a wide front three. You're kind of bringing it into the middle a little bit so that Timo has support around him. And that's when he thrives a striker beside him and a player in behind that can play him through. I mean, Mason Mount has definitely benefited from a guy who is willing to make the runs unselfishly. So to me, sure. Play the three, four, one, two, instead of the three, four, three, if Timo is selected. I don't think it changes the system. I just think it changes how we line up.
2: Uh, I think that, uh, that on paper, too, it makes a lot of sense to play that way because it kind of puts Mount back in his more natural position in the middle instead of wide. Uh, and it gives Kai somebody uh, to play with where he's thrived in the past which is what we've said. I mean, that was kind of the theory, is that him and Timo would be able to play in tandem together and would feed off of each other because they both play better with another forward next to them. Uh, the reality is is that Kai took a little bit to get going early on, and Timo has been up and down and down. Uh, and <laughs> but, down some more. Yeah, but, I mean, again, like... Maybe he got here from Leipzig now. Uh, the Pony Express took a while. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, but, I mean, this is the Timo we thought we were getting. I mean, he played very quickly. He was decisive. He, I mean, the fake. Show, he's done the same, like, fake shot. Uh, he did with two against, uh, or two on the weekend, and then uh, the one with the post, and then he had the one today. Like, that's who we thought we were getting, the fast, decisive Timo. And we haven't gotten him until the last two matches where he's looked incredible. So, yeah, on paper, looks really good, makes a lot of sense. And if he can continue to do this, then we just keep riding it. I mean, like, one of my biggest beefs all season has been consistency in lineup decisions, consistency in formation. And if Timo is doing this, which he has done the last two matches, there is absolutely no reason to break it up. So just, like, ride this for sure. Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, we got another tweet from Tom Ashdown. He said, I hope you all kept quiet when Timo scored. He certainly hasn't had your support. He was excellent tonight. I was not quiet. I was screaming. <laughs> I was jumping up and down and screaming. I mean, we were just talking about this before the before the, we, we started recording. I love being proven wrong, especially in these circumstances. Like, I've never been afraid to admit when I was wrong about something, because we talk about a lot of stuff, but it, it, like hindsight is, is 2020, but at the same time, like Timo has been awful. And the fact that he p- put together probably his two best performances in a Chelsea kit in two matches in a row, uh, doesn't mean that we were wrong in our prior assessment of him. Uh, but I mean, you guys talked about it already. It definitely, it definitely has changed my perspective a little bit on him. But
0: um, yeah, Go ahead. I, I just think, I just think it's one of those things where I feel comfortable saying that just because a player is not good for Chelsea doesn't mean the player is completely bad. I think there's a certain style of play that fits Timo Werner, and it might just not be a Premier League style I think that in an open game Timo Werner is very good the Bundesliga nobody defends by parking the bus everybody goes at each other no matter if you're in the first position at the table or 20th that plays into Timo's hands I think today he you know he had a lot of runs that he didn't get the ball and other players benefited around him and then when he did get his chance like Bobby said he was very decisive and and good for him I every time Timo performs it gives me a little bit of hope that perhaps somebody out there will come and take Timo, so that Timo can be the lethal forward that we thought we were going to get. I, I think I can say, and, and it's okay to say that the Timo experiment hasn't worked here. But I'll be his biggest fan if, if he goes somewhere else and, and starts performing. Like there's nothing wrong with that. We can we can be okay with 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 not. Being a hundred percent on every transfer we make, I, I think that's what people really need to understand. It's it's no hate. Like Morata was hate. I hated Morata. I didn't <laughs> want to see Morata on the pitch.
1: How about Lukaku? Can, can I disagree?
0: <laughs> yeah, can I disagree with Tuchel choosing Timo in a game like this and then be proven wrong? Certainly. And 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 hell, I'll I'll double down and say the same thing for Lukaku when the time comes. Like there are players that I think are good, but just aren't good at Chelsea. And and I think that doesn't mean I don't support the guy. It just means that I can say it was just bad business or it's not a happy marriage in terms of what we want on the pitch.
1: Yeah. And to be fair, he technically hasn't really played against a Premier League defense in the past two weeks or the past two matches. He played against the Liga defense. (laughs) And then last week he played against a Bundesliga defense. So uh, to say like our previous assessment that maybe he just can't make it in the Premier League is still valid, still holds true as of right now. Maybe this change of formation might might change my mind, but until I'm proven wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but after that goal, it only took five minutes for us to come back crashing down to earth. Uh after a brief moment in in football heaven, <laughs> I mean, Andres, was it you who shared that stat about Conte? Um, I think he had like what 20,
0: 20 something touches in that first half. Um, and was- uh, yes, I did. Uh, somebody posted on Twitter the fact that how how Conte's game changed between. Last match in this match, in, in, in the first like he had 21 touches in the first half and was substituted at half. In this match, he had 43 touches in the first half. Um, oh my god. Yeah.
1: And and, and, and the distribution and the distribution across the pitch, it shows that on a graph, and it's all it's the whole pitch is covered. So, vintage
0: vintage Conte.
1: Yeah, I mean he started the game absolutely hot, but. It's for some reason he faded as as the match progressed. He you know he was getting sloppy in possession, surprisingly lazy in his defensive awareness to be honest. Uh, we got a Twitter question from Michael Conan. He asked, "Are we seeing a slight decline from Conte?" Don't want to base everything on one match, but Tuchel was asked about Conte's form, and today he completely fell asleep, which led to the Benzema goal. He hasn't been himself. He's a victim of his own excellence. But is he a super sub now? Bobby, how how are you feeling about this question?
2: So, this is actually something that I thought of before this match. And it kind of went along with my thoughts on the first leg. Um, And I feel like Kante, I don't think he's had a dip. It's weird, right? Because it's like, I don't think it's athletically. Like, he still makes. The same plays. I don't, I mean, he gets injured a little more often than he used to, but I I don't think that, like, it's his inability to cover ground or to, you know, make a last ditch effort, which he's done plenty of times this year. What he used to do so well, uh, and I think Andreas kind of alluded to it, uh, is he would win the ball deep and he would instantly start a counter, whether he was driving or making the first or second pass. To really start a counter or to start a a pretty quick transition into attack and that's not only has he gotten worse at that but I think if I remember correctly both of the mistakes he made today were in that exact scenario like not only did he you know not complete the pass but they were very very bad errors and I he hasn't made errors like he did today all season, but he's gotten worse, worse at that at when he wins the ball deep, which he's good at and still good at, uh, that he's, he isn't starting the counters and, and transitioning as quick as he used to.
1: Bobby, real quick, those two, you you mentioned two mistakes. Are you talking about the two goals? Yeah, because there was a third one as well. When he got the yellow card, he, uh, I think he, he was holding up the ball and lost it to Cruz. And yeah. uh you know that almost started a counter he had to to have a slide tackle okay. from behind got a yellow yeah. um yeah. so really, there was three and yeah. andreas i'll I'll pass it off to you right after I make this one point about um you saying he's he's not you know he's the same athletically, but you know it's the hamstring injuries that keep on coming up. Maybe the problem is having that level of play for a full ninety. You know, maybe he can't last the full 90.
0: Right, Andres? Yeah, that's something that I I definitely thought about as well, is if you can get 75 minutes out of Conte and we're up three goals, flip the switch, right? If you're up three goals and and you've gotten the goals you need, like in this situation, which is, you know, not something that happens every week, but we had to get three goals to advance, pull Conte because at that point Madrid is on their heels. Madrid has to come at you with everything. And and what better way of of neutralizing that than maybe not pressing and letting someone like Jorginho come and slow down the tempo of the game? I think that, you know, we're about to go into substitutions as the last thing, but uh, I think that's where maybe we lacked, we, Tuchel, lacked uh, a little bit of awareness. Conte has just ran crazy amounts for 75 minutes. I mean, we just talked about it, right? 43 touches in the first half. Lord knows how many more he got before th- he got subbed out. But to me, it, it's one of those things where Bobby mentioned it, the, the decision-making at at the crucial point in the game went dead. And that can also go into the fatigue. Sam, you mentioned it. He, his like accumulation of hamstring injuries can play into the fact that he's no longer – a 90-minute machine, no matter what the game, no matter what the location, no matter what the situation. Somebody, I I I think somebody in the Discord mentioned that the lack of of center mid players showed. I know that I am a a critic of Jorginho's physicality, but I do think that his his style would have fit to slow down this, this Madrid attack because after we scored the third goal the the experience of madrid's players shined through right these guys were now somehow in their physical prime they were getting to every ball first and how do you how do you make that work into your favor you make them run without the ball and jorginho is fantastic at that so i thought you know is there a slight decline in conte yes i mean it comes with every player that goes through a bit bad streak of injuries age etc but I think it's something that we might have been able to work around. I think Conte still is very valuable, but a moment like this just continues to highlight the need for a natural DM in the summer. Uh, we, we can't rely on magical machine Conte for the future and even the present as much as we usually do.
1: And I do want to highlight what you said about Tuchel, because looking back at it now, he really did mess up with, with the substitutions because the team was pressing like hell. Everyone was gassed. Everyone was exhausted. And it makes sense like going, you know, leading up to the third goal, it makes sense not making any moves because we're look. we look really good. You want to play off, you know, this chemistry everyone on the field has, is just has adrenaline pumping through their veins. You don't want to mess it up. But once we go up, up three one and I mean three nil then you make a move because yeah and goal Conte played a full 90 like three days ago four days ago you know like this it, it, it's not a, I don't think this is more like a looking back like he should have done this kind of thing but I think as a top manager he should have done that in that moment and um you know, bringing on the Jorginho, like you, you guys already mentioned, uh, trying to switch it up a little bit once we're up th- 3-0. That is, uh, you know, if, if there's one thing you can criticize Tuchel for what he did, Tom, good old Tommy tactics, he messed that up. But um, the only sub he did make in, in regular time was bringing on Pulisic in, uh, what was it, the 80th minute around the 80th minute for Timo Werner, who was having a pretty decent game. But <laughs> I know our Twitter fans or followers were not happy with that decision. One, uh, we got uh, a Twitter, a tweet from Akash Gosh at Akash Gosh one, Nice. He said, Pulisic atrocious. Tom Ashgosh uh, at Tom Ashgosh. Sorry, Tom Ashkosh. Tom Ashdown, 15. Pulisic running down cul-de-sacs. Looks like he's running in triacle. What is that? What is triacle? Oh, I have no idea. Bobby, have you heard of that word? <laughs> You're yeah. a better uh, veriacle yeah. Yeah. than we do. What yeah. was the word? Triacle?
2: triacle? Treacle?
1: S-T-R-E-A-C-L-E? Treacle.
2: Well, I like don't know. I don't know what that means.
1: I'll look it up. Extremely weak sulking and missed two wonderful chances just like the final last season i would sell him in the summer and keep <laughs> Werner. he was out he was outstanding
2: tonight about timo uh, uh, those are yeah treacle is uh any uncrystallized syrup made during the refining of sugar Wow. So... So he's running slow. Is slower than
1: molasses. It's
0: treating. There you go. It's yeah. Even I mean, you slower than
1: molasses. Like, yeah. um, so, I, b- before I pass it on to you guys, I'll have Ron, uh, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe, aka Bone Daddy Supreme, uh, bring in the question saying, Was bringing in Pulisic at that time a mistake? I-
0: <laughs> so. I want to go first because I know Bobby has a lot. He is a big U.S. men's national team fan, and he has a lot more that he can say about Polisic's game. My thing isn't isn't the timing, and, and it's the part that people continue to just try to think that Polisic is a one size fits all kind of player. He's not a, a striker and a striker too. Like you, you don't play Polisic to play up the middle of the pitch. Like that is that is not what he's supposed to do. Like that is not where he thrives. Yes. He gets into the box a lot. And a lot of his goals come from in the box, but he starts from a wide position and he drifts into the box. He sneaks into the box. He doesn't have a center back in the fullback on his ass at all times. So it sucks. It sucks that we didn't have another striker on the bench to bring on because that's what Timo is. He's a striker. Kai has been a striker. So it's a different mindset. And, Yes, Pulisic missed two chances, but if we're really gonna play that game, so did Lukaku last week. So the, the whole thing with missing two chances, like, no, nah, dude, like that's that's such a hindsight thing. Like players miss. He was there to, he was at least there to make it happen. And and again, if we're gonna get really really down to the ground, yes, he was bad. But I think the subs should have come before the Madrid game. The Madrid goal came where we. Are securing our position not putting ourselves in a chasing position again and, and that's my big concern i think the part about selling him in the summer instead of Werner. look three four one two is a situational thing we are not a three four one two specific team and, and to be completely honest based on the, the the squad we have the likelihood of playing narrow up front instead of with wingers is very low Zesh is still an important part of this team Hudson Adoy is still part of this team. He is exclusively a winger. Polisic winger. Mount has been able to do it sometimes um and and decently in the in at least the 3 4 3, but we don't play that way. We don't. That is not who we are. So so to to put to shoehorn Polisic into that position, I think is wrong. And, and to just out of one one match say that he's the player you sell over Werner, I I I get it. Werner was amazing tonight. I just don't think that that's what what you do. We've seen Pulisic come back to his form when played at left wing recently. One bad performance doesn't make you
2: a bad player. So, Bobby, I'll let you take over from here. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, I mean, if this is what makes you want to sell Pulisic, I think that's uh, reactionary, personally. Um, he was terrible today. I think he looked confused. He didn't know what he was doing. Uh, I don't like the chances missed. Don't even bother me. Really. One of them was a volley on his weak foot with Carvajal on him. The other one was a half volley. That was a header down, uh, from, from Kai, I think. And I, maybe it may have been a half volley again with (laughs) Carvajal on top of him. Um,
1: so both would have been, both would have been amazing goals if he put them outside them.
2: Sure. Like, sure. But, like, were they, like, 100% chance? Like, they, it's not like they were sitters. Like, Kai had an open header. Lukaku had an open header. Jorginho had a snapshot with his left foot with no one in front of him. Uh, there there are so many people that you could point out for missing a chance they should have put on goal, which is what I would classify 6 chance as, a shot that he probably should have put on goal. But I don't think this is – it's not like he was one-on-one with Courtois uh, trying to put it away. Like, that's not what happened. Uh and on top of that, too, we scored a lot of goals. We, so goals were not the issue in this tie. It was stupid mental errors that we made in both uh, in both legs of this. Um, but I think like to, to selling anybody, I mean even uh, like've I've said throughout the year that maybe we should look at selling Werner. I think he's the one that I would sell because I just don't think he fits the system. He's a very hyper specific player. But if for whatever reason he goes on a tear, I'm personally in favor of letting Lukaku leave because he wants to or whatever. And I think our biggest issue under Tuchel, and it's been because of injury, COVID, whatever, uh, no squad depth, but has been um, continuity. And so if we want to maybe bring in one new player into the attack and kind of run it back with the same people for another year in the attack, I'm fine with that. Like, I... I don't think constantly shaking it up is the answer to any problem because we're a good team. This has been a good year, Uh, especially considering the circumstances. Um, So I don't think that like, you know, selling this player, selling that player and bringing in whoever is going to magically fix things. Because if you look at every good team in Europe, most of them have played together for four or five years. And that's why they're as good as they are.
1: I have nothing to add to that. Cause you, you said it exactly the same way that I feel. I just, I, I had one of my English friends text me today say, Oh my God, I hate Pulisic. I want to get rid of him. He's so inconsistent. And I just said, I can't wait for him to score against England and do a fortnight dance in the World cup <laughs> this winter. Okay. I cannot wait for that to happen. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I don't know what happened this match. I think it's worth mentioning the Marcus Alonso handball and, you know, possibly the bald ref curse we have maybe. Um, I think we refer to them as bald cunts um, every time we have one. So this was not an exception what 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 country was he from did you, did you guys the swedish guy he's swedish no, this okay. guy no oh. the
0: swedish guy was the one from the barcelona match yeah by, uh, today's ref i'll have to look into that not that his I
1: nationality remember. means anything
0: but just <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm just curious but um like uh,
0: he's polish he's
1: polish okay yeah not that it means anything uh i mean sorry not that but Like, it was harsh. Maybe it was the right call. Do you guys know whether they called a handball? Like, initially, they didn't, right? They did not call a a handball.
0: It was a goal on the pitch.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I'm basing this off of Twitter responses and replies on Instagram posts, but I'm seeing a lot of people maybe more people saying that they thought it was a uh, a handball, but I'm seeing a lot of people who are not Chelsea fans who thought it wasn't a handball. And I thought that was the rule, that if it's not conclusive, like the fact that there is debate to it, whether it was or was not a handball, we would leave it what it was ruled on the pitch. And I'm not saying it wasn't a handball, because it probably was. But the fact that you know, opinions could differ on this. It, it's enough to not overrule the goal. And maybe that's making up for them giving us the corner, which wasn't a corner for Rudiger's goal. But um, I don't know. I mean, Bobby, did did you want to add something to that?
2: I think um, Paramount or CBS had the their rules official after the match explain that it was a handball. And... I don't remember exactly, so I'm paraphrasing, but I think that she said that offensively any handball in the box or any control is called a handball now. Uh, I don't know if that was like a recent change to the rule or anything. Yeah. Um, they but keep on changing it. That's the problem. Yeah, right. incidental or not, which like I'm in favor of like get rid of gray area. It sucks because it was totally inadvertent and did not affect the play at all. Um, like even if that would have bounced up two more feet, which it wouldn't have, he still would have banged it. Like it, it he had space. It didn't matter. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think the way she explained it is that basically any handball in the box for offensively is uh, a handball now. Gotcha. Yeah. See, I grew up with, if your
0: arms are not extended from your torso, meaning, you know, like you see with the free kick where the hand, the players put a hand like across their chest and they mm-hmm. cover their privates. Like if it hits you at that position, then your arm and your hands played no factor in where the ball's trajectory was. In the replay, Marcos Alonso's hand is literally awkwardly on his chest, which would lead me to think that his hand had no, uh, you know, direct cause into the path of the ball. You don't think it stopped
1: the, the ball a little bit?
0: It did. Well that's my thing, is like if your hand isn't there and his arms are next to each other, it hits his, his chest. Like it's not like his did he's it? fucking Casper the ghost. Like that's that's what it would have happened, know. you know? Like that that's my take on it. And <laughs> and at the end of the day, if the rule changed to black and white, perfect. But the referee and I, I guess I can go into Tuchel's thing, the referee didn't even go to to the actual
2: screen. Like he yeah. did it. Really? And that's I think that's a terrible way to review. Like, if you're gonna change the call, you have to look at it. I don't I don't know why that's like. Yeah, wait, he, he what? just
0: said somebody. Yeah, the referee did not go under the hood or or however you want to say it, that's the NFL yeah. way of calling it. But the he got the over the headset. Hey man, oh it's a handball, and he just took it. And to me, like this just highlights the the bias because there is a bias, and I don't want to hear from people. You know, I doubt anyone that's not a Chelsea fan ever listens to this, but Real Madrid and Barcelona get preferential treatment left and right, just like Liverpool and Man United get preferential treatment in the FA, in, in the Premier League. It happens. These are historic clubs that have done the right thing over so long that they just it's, it's like LeBron in the NBA, right? If he if he even flinches, he gets the foul call. Nobody wants to be the referee that knocks out Madrid with a decision, period. That's not who you want to be. And I personally believe that if a referee had the balls, he would have gone into the hood and actually made the decision for himself. He took the easy way out and didn't. And, and he, and it's just not that there's fouls. There was yellow card moments. Uh, Fede Valverde got a yellow two minutes later. He clipped Kovacic from behind. Not a word was said, not a second warning before a second yellow was given. That's the kind of shit that bugs me. And Yeah, it sucks because the Alonso goal was great. Sure, handball. But then the other calls throughout the game, the inconsistencies of how you're going to go about addressing players on warnings, that needs to be figured out. If this game was us versus Benfica, they give us that goal. I'm 100% sure he just calmly goes over there and is like, yeah, Chelsea gets the goal. I, I don't see how that's a handball. He interprets it. But to not go under the hood is... That's an issue to me. He could at least go and then have the certainty in his heart that like, yeah, that was a handball at his hand. I know it for a fact. And that's how I feel like these calls that are VAR reviewed should go, period. Don't care what people upstairs say. I don't care if we see it on TV and it's clear as day. Go see it for yourself. That's why VAR is there.
1: It's not just a pro-Real Madrid bias. Like, you really think UEFA wants Chelsea to, to advance to the semifinals, like they they <laughs> right. banned all Russian teams, the EU, you know, the, the, or uh, sorry, UEFA also messed with our, you know, ticket sale tickets. allocations, whatever. We
0: don't get any it, money from these tickets.
1: Yeah, exactly. The E, like we're we're the subject of an EU investigation. Our team, like it, it's a combination of both, in my opinion. I'm never, I never ever actually believe this, like bias against us like I say it as a joke but I think
0: in this match there was a bias against us I think because of both there's I always feel like Chelsea's like the villain and has been ever since Roman came in because he's the one that you know made it a money thing money wins you championships in football I get that we have that stigma but I mean again like Barcelona and Real Madrid get special treatment it's it is what it is I'm not saying that like it's, it's just, it is what it is. Hey,
1: Thomas Tuchel
0: agrees with you. Uh,
1: he, he had a quote saying, when you play Madrid, you feel some refs don't have the courage. Not just today, but across both legs. I let him know how disappointing it was for him to not even review it. A referee should stay... Um, the referee should stay the boss and not let a man in a chair to make such decisive call. He should make that decision himself as a boss. But that's just my opinion. Tuchel's a boss. And I don't know if you saw his other quote, but apparently this asshole, uh, the referee was like, after the match, like talking to, um, talking to Ancelotti and like laughing. And Tuchel said something about like, you know, that's fine, whatever. But I just think that in that certain situation, in that moment, like it's not a good look for you, you know, like it's something along those lines. And that's so true too. Like, Bro, like have a little bit of like situational awareness and know that if after this match you're you're spotted laughing with the with the Real Madrid coach, like it's gonna look bad, bro, like have a little bit of yeah like situational awareness, oh but enough of that, I don't know, I mean, any final
0: points you guys wanna make on the Real Madrid match, yeah, proud as hell, like this should be a catalyst for the rest of the season. I regardless of not being
2: in the champions league anymore. Yeah. And like, I think that this match kind of was like a microcosm, I guess of like our entire season, we've had COVID injuries. I mean, obviously injuries we've had uh, the Abramovich situation, um, a really congested uh, fixture schedule, like, just, I mean, we've had every opportunity this year to fall apart. Um, and we haven't. We, it looked like we were close at some points throughout the year. Just like in the first leg, it looked like we had fallen apart and we were going to lose this tie, you know, 5-1 or 6-1 maybe. Um, and we didn't. We came back and almost won it. Should have won it. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to Tugel and how he has this team playing and how they have bought in and they want to play for him. Uh, and it speaks to the players' resiliency. And that's why I look at this. We lost to a team before this matchup. I would have said the three best teams in the world are probably, in no particular order, Liverpool, Man City, and, and Real Madrid. I thought those three teams were in better form than everyone else. Um, and for us to, <laughs> to almost win this against all odds... Uh, with a well, uh, midfielder with like our, like our fourth choice midfielder playing wing back uh, is pretty absurd. So I, I I like I'm gutted after the match, but like really thinking about it, I'm not upset at all.
1: I'm very upset, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I can't believe you had so much optimism going in, Andreas. I hate you for that because me personally. I can't do that. I've been hurt way too many times. I'm a (laughs) Bengals fan. I'm a Clippers fan. I'm a Dodgers fan. And I'm a Chelsea fan. So my automatic response is to expect the worst. So if we win, it exceeds my expectations. And if we don't lose, I'm not crushed as bad.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I think I just see like... What to, Like, I've always said it, this team is great at cups. You know, when the back is against the wall, this team rises to the occasion. And I think Tuchel's post-match and the Southampton match did everything needed to go into this game. I really thought, you know, like the first leg, all I could think was two to one is not the end of the world. It was the mistake at the second half that ruined everything. I thought that tactically the 3-4-3 could have worked. Christensen was just terrible against Vinny. And and so to me, it was, if you really open up the kind of the story of the first leg and see what happened, I didn't think Madrid did shit. Like, I didn't think they did anything insane. They have Benzema. Like, that's what they did. Like, Ancelotti, BS for anyone that comes at me and says like, oh, tactically, Ancelotti masterclass, bullshit, (laughs) bullshit. The XG, yeah, the XG showed us winning five to two like Benzema just Benzema's head because it was all his head fucked us. He scored three unbelievable headers that it takes a world-class on top of his fucking, the form of his life to score. So to me, that's why I was so optimistic. Like there was chances and we just gave them the one goal that we could have prevented with that Mendy blunder. So There's times where I'm going to be negative, but this time I was just like, I know that they're there for the taking. And I just, I mean, we won. We technically won this game. So, yeah. Yeah. God damn it, guys.
1: (laughs) God damn it. All right. Let's look ahead to this Sunday or, or yeah, Sunday. Our FA Cup matchup against Crystal Palace in the semifinals at... Wembley. Uh, this is a big one. Definitely a great opportunity to get my emotions back on track personally. Uh, but I just think that we, we build upon this momentum and we absolutely crush crystal palace over the weekend. Uh, I mean, right. Their best players, Connor Gallagher by far. And Obviously, we didn't agree to allow him play. There's no way we allow him to play this match. <laughs> um, but in their last four matches, they had a 2-1 loss against Leicester, uh, a 3-0 win against Arsenal. The, in the last leg of the FA Cup, they won 4-0 against Everton, against Everton. And then the match before that, they drew 0-0 against City. So a lot of big results in their last four. Um and, you know, they usually play a 4-3-3, but it's it's hard to tell what they'll actually do without Gallagher, who's key for the way that they press in the final third. Um, but, Andreas, I'll start with you. What are some things to look out for?
0: Uh, Olise and Zaha, from their threat from the wide spaces. I mean, I think Tuchel probably won't take any risks going into this match and he'll probably play Reese at right center back again just to, you know, at least neutralize one of the two. Rüdiger doesn't lack any pace or physicality, so I think he matches up well against these kind of like speedy dribblers. So, yeah, Olise being like their main creative force uh, behind probably Gallagher, whose numbers have been ridiculous. So, to me, it's, it's neutralizing the, the threat from the wings. I think that they are are the guy kind of guys that can really make a, a, a fixture tough because, you know, you dive in on a player early, you play on a yellow for the rest of the match. And, and that's the kind of players that Zaha and Odise can be. So that's what I'm expecting. I think again, after this match, all of our marbles are, are on the FA cup. So I think we're going to win something like three nil. That's, that's how Mm. I feel. I feel absolutely confident going into the weekend.
1: Bobby, do you think Tuchel sticks with the 3 uh three, 4 2 one or 3-4-1-2 or do we see something going back to the 3-4-3? Three, three?
2: Um I've, again, I again, I think I said it earlier in the pod but uh I don't I hope he does. Uh I think he will. I don't like cuz I I thought if he was going to make a change to that he would have against Madrid because uh Madrid didn't give us a lot of space in the first leg. So the time would have been to do something differently today and he didn't so against a team that is going to try to press us occasionally uh, so there there will be opportunities for space and for people to get one-on-one matchups uh why like why wouldn't you and also uh like we talked about earlier too like we see it that it works with Timo and this is kind of the only way to get the most out of him is to play this specific formation and Timo's had two different Probably the two best games he's had for Chelsea. So again, don't 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 tinker with this. Just I would drop the same exact lineup we started off in out there mm-hmm. and just let it ride. Dude,
1: if Timo finishes the season like hot, yeah. yeah. Then I, mean, I might I might reconsider my stance yeah, I mean, on selling Pulisic and keeping Timo. I don't
2: know. I get that it's like a little bit of banter. Uh but like again like i don't know and this is probably a discussion for the end of the season uh regardless of form Mm -hmm. but i don't see the need to try to make decisions on who to sell we don't know who the owner is we don't know how much money we're going to have we don't know if we're going to be able to move anybody we don't know because the big one is probably lukaku right like yeah we don't know how much we're going to get for him Right, it's like, are we going to move him? Are we taking a loss? Like, what kind of money do we have coming in? Whether is Tugel he- going to try to give it another chance? Like, there's a lot. Yeah, no, Kaku's hell big no. Piece, right. I think Lukaku's <laughs> situation is probably cooked. It just seems like he doesn't want to play. Um, but, like, I this this year has not been consistent for anybody. It has not been. Con- I mean, Tugel, uh, you know, apparently his personal life is not uh consistent it is not going well for him personally we have the the ownership situation we've had injuries like this has not been consistent for anybody and i don't think going into a summer that we should just shake up everything and like this this has been a bonding experience it had to have been right like we really haven't heard of issues in the locker room maybe maybe a little bit before christmas um didn't really heard of like issues in the locker rooms. So this has got to be a bonding experience, and like all the teams that we're chasing or are comparing ourselves to Real Madrid, uh, and in the league, Liverpool, and um, and City yeah. like those teams have been together for so long. And so, even even though, like, if Timo reverts back to like not being good for the rest of the season and he wants to leave and he communicates that he wants to leave, sure, let him go. But if he finishes the season like he's been playing the last two, like. We shouldn't go out of our way to sell him. I'm like, I don't think we should be like, hey, like, you know, let's, you know, thirty-five, forty mil, let's get you out the door. But I mean, if somebody comes in with like a sixty mil offer, that's, you know, that's tough. The same with Pulisic. Like, if somebody comes in and offers us like 45, 50, 60 mil for Pulisic, maybe we consider it. Like, and that's fair. I think even if they were in really good form, you'd consider something like that. But I think consistency is more important than the shiny new toy. Cause we have fucked up the shiny new toy time in and time out over and over and over again. And I just don't think it'll be different just because this toy might be shinier. Like it doesn't make sense to me.
1: Okay. So we let's, what if we call up, um, we call up Dortmund and we say, listen, Timo Werner and Christian Pulisic are yours. Just send us Jude Bellingham back. If Who says no? Yeah. Oh, I, I mean... thought
0: you were gonna say Holland. I was
1: like, what? Oh, go I thought, oh I think... no, oh, Holland? No, I
2: think midfield's a bigger issue for us than the attack yeah. is personally.
1: Agreed. It's a cam, but yeah. All right, how about Emery Chan?
0: You guys down for that? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: um, if it's if it's gonna be an expensive shiny toy, tell me it's Declan Rice.
2: Yeah, that's, that's I mean that's the shiny toy I'm thinking of. That, that's is the he, only shiny no. toy that I'm. He, he solves see. a lot of problems for us, I think, and I'm not even like a huge fan of the price tag. But he's one of those guys. I don't give a shit. He'll he'll start for us for eight years. He'll be good. I don't care what the price tag uh, is.
1: I think United is is uh, uh they're looking to break their transfer record for this guy, but uh, right, maybe
0: ten hog maybe ten hogs thinking he's bringing half of Ajax with him next yeah, year. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Dude, after this Lukaku signing, I'm just so reluctant on hundred million dollar <laughs> signings. But, uh, anyways, I guess I'll end it. I'll I'll I allowed Andreas to do the intro, but I'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks for tuning in for the to the Blues on Parade podcast. You can follow us on Twitter uh, at Blues on Parade. I think, are we pod? No, we're just Blues on Parade. <laughs> we just, blues cha- on Parade. Yeah, we just changed it, so I uh, ap- apologize for that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, at Blues on Parade, n- we are no longer the Romans Empire podcast. Uh, so if you guys see tweets from Blues on Parade, that's us. Uh, but onwards to the FA Cup. Let's uh, put this Champions League... Uh, lost behind. We're still, as of now, champions of Europe until another one is reigned. So don't forget that. And until next week, keep the blue flag flying high.